Come on in to Margaret McSweeney's Kitchen for Kitchen Chat, where every week you'll meet chefs, cookbook authors, foodies, gourmets, and just plain people who love to eat. And along with laughter, chat, recipes, and stories about food, you'll sometimes also hear words of inspiration, love, and hope. As Margaret always says, kitchen chat is food for the senses and food for the soul. So grab a cup of coffee, put your feet up on a comfy chair, and get ready to spend a little time with Margaret and her friends. Hello, dear foodie friends, and welcome to Kitchen Chat. I'm your host, Margaret McSweeney, and I'm so excited you're joining me today in the beautiful Milby Residential Viking Lock Purdue showroom here in the Merchandise Mart. Of course, someone who needs no introduction, my co-host, Chef Jamie Larita. <laughs> I guess I need no introduction. <laughs> and we are so excited for you to be today's guest, Veronica Inky who is the author of a very fabulous and popular new book about the Titanic. And we're going to learn about the food on this ship. So welcome to Kitchen Chat. Thank you, Margaret and Jamie. It's really great to be here. I'm so glad to be able to talk with everyone about my new book. It's a look at the Titanic through the lens of style, culinary um, so food and drinking and also fashion and music. And they are hot off the presses as of yesterday. Wow. And so you these things both, are these things still have I'm the ink is you. still wet, Veronica. The, the ink is still wet. It's the ink is still wet. Fresh copies. So thank yeah. you so much. So the last night on the Titanic, unsinkable drinking, dining, and style. Yes. Wow. Wow. And what inspired this yeah. topic? Well, you know, over the years, I have spent a great deal of time and, and told a great deal of stories, hundreds of food stories. And at the core of everyone, at the heart of everyone, it's always about the people. And what better people to write about than these incredible people who survived or experienced terrible things before the sinking of the Titanic. These people were amazing. And so many people tucked away menus in their jacket pockets. One man even wrote a long letter home on his first day on the Titanic, writing in detail each menu item he had had for lunch that day. He wow. wrote it to his his wife and before Instagram. See, right. This was, <laughs> I'm actually yeah. gonna I'm actually gonna quote prevent an accident on the water because I think oh. I think Mara's going to sink that ship right there. Thank you for thinking of that. I didn't even see that. You know what I'm saying? That was like an iceberg. Knuckles, Margaret. Knuckles. Give me some knuckles. So, yeah. So, what, what, you know, tell me about this. So, this is like the last night on the Titanic. Literally, like the menu from the last night, the recipes. Right. The menu from the last night. Of course, that last first class menu has been very celebrated throughout the years, sure. and much in part due to the fabulous book by Rick Archbold and Dana McCauley, The Last Dinner on the Titanic. Mm -hmm. This book adds other different looks at menus from even the crew menu. Like 107 years ago today, the Titanic was on her sea trials. And guess what? There was a beautiful menu for that as well. Today? And today, April 3rd, wow. 1912. She was on her second day of sea trials, and each day had a different menu. Um, on the April 2nd menu, what I thought was really neat, this is the kind of thing I learned 
through um, researching the book, the people that planned the menu for the crew thought of little things, little touches to honor them, like clover on toast. Clover is a seabird, so they were paying homage to these people that had dedicated their lives to working on the sea. And I, th- I like that. I think that's really neat. It's beautiful. Well, I'm just so curious, you know, the food, and we're going to get to the menu, but the preparation, I mean, because this was, the, these were the days before you had these wonderful yeah. <laughs> equipment, you know, commercial ovens and everything. How did they prepare this at all? How did they prepare meals on the Titanic? Well, it's, you know, no irony that we're here in the showroom here because uh, this is state-of-the-art in the modern times here where we are today talking. And in, in the time of the Titanic, the, all of the um, cooking ranges and the, even the ice cream and sorbet makers were state-of-the-art, the newest thing Maybe out of the... Products, yes. <laughs> Today they probably would have been, right. right? Tell me how these chefs got involved with these recipes. Well, it was really fun. You know, I was able to bring in some of the chefs that I've worked with over the years, and I found, made a lot of new friends. I found folks from as far away as Johannesburg, South Africa, if you can believe it, because I was looking for a recipe for tripe and onions, which is what they were eating in third class ah. in Stewart. They had things like gruel, you can imagine, on yeah, the menu. Gruel. And what exactly is gruel? Margaret, we should make some gruel. <laughs> I don't know if I want to. What exactly is gruel? I mean, that was like in the Oliver story, I remember. Yeah. Is it- I think of it like a watered-down oatmeal. Isn't that kind of how you yeah. think okay. of gruel? Like it's, And maybe it's a little bit enhanced with different ingredients more than just that but I think basically it's yeah (laughs) so um, and you know we look at first second and third classes and um, even in steerage on the Titanic the accommodations and food were much better than on any other steamship during the day it was this was like the first of its kind kind of a ship there was even an ice cream maker on board and he was a young man, 19 years old, from Inwill, Switzerland. And he told his parents, he said, you know, I need to make this crossing on the Titanic. He said, when I'm done with this crossing, I will be able to get a job in culinary in any of the best hotels in London. That's what the Titanic meant to people at mm. the time. It was that important. Did he survive? He did not. Yeah. He, he did not. And it's... And I'm so... Well, you know why? He did survive because we're talking about him today. Exactly. Awesome. I was just thinking that myself, that <laughs> this, this project, the book, the talking with people, you know, sharing it like today on Kitchen Chat, it, it is it, it, very much like that. It's yeah, you're bringing the kitchen bringing back them. to life. You're right. bringing the boat back to life. I can almost feel, you know, you're taking me to that culinary place. Like you can almost feel like what it would be like in the kitchens. And look what I just happened to to open up on. This is too funny. Called Margaret's Fruit Cup. I (laughs) thought I was Margaret's Fruit Cup. And you just opened... (laughs) (laughs) You just opened up to that page. That is wonderful, Margaret. Nothing. (laughs) I got Women and Children First. Well, that's... Be brave no matter what happens. Be brave. Yes. I like that. Nice. And that I like was... That. That's a little, a little message for me, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. It's so true. I, you know, when I was halfway through this project, 
someone called me and at work one day and said that my mother had just died suddenly and unexpectedly and she was in perfect health and I was just starting to get back into the book project and I was diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer and I'm through it now I'm I'm doing good and I had a great care team um, wonderful surgeons and um, and treatment care but this book one of the most surprising things about this book project was that the people that I was researching and writing the people that I was telling the stories of their stories just really kept me strong brave uplifted and encouraged and wow, amazing. I hope that the, the book will do that for everyone who reads it I love that and, and first of all congratulations for having breast cancer behind you, and as the listeners and viewers know, I'm goodness, almost a seven-year survivor with breast cancer. Yes, and Kitchen Chat was what what gave me that passion to get through it, so I understand, and we are celebrating your book, so wow. yes, so congratulations. Thank you, and you too. So this is... Um you know, we'll get back to a little bit of talking about your book and how exciting and the things that are upcoming for the book. But we have a past. You know, you, you've been uh, involving me in a lot of the articles that you've been writing. So what else do you do? Tell our listeners what else do you do besides writing just this cookbook? Well, I write feature stories and mostly food stories. And I have to say, you know, when I tell people how at the core of every food story, it's about the people that is so true with you and the food stories that I've written over the years about Jamie. You know, I one day I left after this fabulous feast of pasta and figs and I had this great recipe and it was just this amazing meal. I, he's never made anything that I haven't just absolutely loved. I'm usually just drooling over the Instagram posts and <laughs> everything that I see going on down here and it works. But I, when I think back on, you know, that first time, our first story together, I think about the, the birds that you rescued and the shower that you had for your dogs so that they can come in and clean their paws off when they've got salt on their feet and that's what I mean about food stories. The birds you rescued, I didn't know that. Yeah, so I went into a pet shop and there was a fish tank, literally a fish tank with a line of birds inside the fish tank and that's where they were living in a fish tank and I walked into the store and I said, what's this about? She said, oh, they're not important, they're just breeders. We just breed them. I said, and then you shove them back in the fish tank? She said, well, yeah, they're not really for sale. I said, I'll take all of them. So I took all the birds and uh, I built this gorgeous, I found this amazing cage and I built this world for them where they weren't just breeders. I felt so bad for these parakeets, but um, yeah, that's what happened. Yeah. yeah. I love that story. Mm -hmm. so. Thank you for highlighting that yeah. story. Yeah, but you write for lots of uh, different uh, newspapers and magazines. So tell me how you got your start in culinary. Well, I had been writing as a stringer with the New York Post and done, I'd been doing a lot of hard news, breaking news here in Chicago, um, you know, a lot of different crime stories and so forth, and also with the Associated Press and feature stories. And so through that, I was able to, I forget when it was, I think it was in 2005 maybe, I started getting assigned stories from Pioneer Press which is now part of the Tribune Media Services company, and um, food stories. And I just love it. It's 
just a joy to be able to learn about things like that. And that's a good example of what I'm talking about, that, you know, um, you, you go in there, about it's all about the recipe, it's all about the, how is the food prepared, and you end up learning about the people behind the recipe. Mm-hmm. So it, and I like to say that the, uh, that energy is the flavor, right? And it's the people that, how they spin the pot that makes the recipe great. I always say yeah. that. It's how you spin yeah. the pot. Well, I would love to jump into the menu. What was the final meal served on the Titanic? Well, one of the courses that's probably best known is very popular. It's the Punch Romaine. Have you guys heard of that before? It's a champagne sorbet and it's frozen. And um, I have a story to share about that. In my research, I looked on, in newspapers and found a woman in Murraysville, Pennsylvania, who had had one of these last night Titanic dinner parties for her friends. And she said, the only SOS I want to hear is send out seconds. <laughs> so she was just the neatest lady to talk with on the phone. I talked to her about a year and a half ago, and she provided a couple of the recipes for the book. Her name is Marjorie Barretta, and uh, the, that was one of the items that we wanted to make sure we included because from what, from my perspective anyway, as a food reporter, that's one thing on, on the menu that is just ubiquitous. I and mean, it's like the one thing that you have to have when you have a Titanic dinner party. Um, and then, you know, there are so many other different uh, elements to the dinner as well. Chocolate eclairs were um, the dessert that night. And I'm really thrilled that a Chicago chef, and a number of Chicago chefs are in the book, and one of them is someone who contributed a recipe for chocolate eclairs, and it's by Gail Gant. Oh, I love Gail. I love Gail. Yes. We have Gail on our show. Yes, and Gail contributed that recipe for chocolate eclairs, and, which is fabulous, and also for apple meringue, which is such a cozy, you know, sort of old English type of but still lovely treats. It's still uh, prevalent today. And um, the chocolate eclairs are pretty special because I heard, I, I spoke with the um, great niece of Charles Jockin, the chief baker who survived, has an incredible story, that he was actually, even though he was baker on the Titanic, he was actually, by trade, a pastry chef, like Gail. Very fine pastries that he made. He would make beautiful um, christening cakes and top them with hand-blown sugar ornaments that he would make for his nieces and nephews. Um, he would make mincemeat pies and just lovely, lovely foods. So one of the things that she, his great-niece told me about was his terrific chocolate eclairs. And so that's, that's a recipe that is really in honor of Charles. And Charles had a, an amazing story as chief baker. He had come over to the Titanic from her sister ship, the Olympic, as many of the crew did. And um, he survived that night. He's the man that we see in both Titanic movies that have been popular through the years. Of course, there was that movie from the 1950s, um, based on the Walter Lord book, A Night to Remember, and then, of course, the very popular um, James Cameron movie, Titanic, and in that movie we see Charles holding onto a railing, and he has a bottle in his hand and a baker cap on, and I don't know if either of you recall that, but some people see that as like a sort of a comic relief element to that movie. And uh, there's always been a, a story handed down through time that 
he was drinking whiskey, and that's how he was able to um, survive. That's what people have said. Of course, that's not true, but that's sort of the urban myth, yes. the legend. And his niece confirmed to me that he was actually drinking schnapps. He explained he was drinking schnapps. He was he tread water for two hours. He threw deck chairs into the water because when he saw that all the lifeboats had gone, he thought, if I can get all these deck chairs into the water, I might have one thing I can hang on to when I'm in there, in the water. And what's really amazing to me is that the Thursday before the Titanic sunk, the Titanic sunk on a Sunday night, and the Thursday before, Charles had checked his station chart to see where he was going to be if, if needed, if there was a crisis, what um, lifeboat was he going to be manning? And he noted the number of the lifeboat, and then when he went to board, went to get it boarded with the people in it to help the people get in, um, it was loaded, ready to go, and he did not get the command to board the lifeboat. And he knew his chance was gone at that point of survival. But he made it. He, a cook held his hand out to Charles from a lifeboat, and he said, you know, hold me hand. And Charles held his hand for a, a great deal of time, probably close to an hour, and then another lifeboat came along and said, we have room for 10 more, and Charles got on. And then when he got on the Carpathia, the boat that came to brave through iceberg-infested waters to pick these people up, he said, I was so cold that they popped me into the oven like one of my own pies. Hmm. Yeah, so an incredible wow. story of the baker. And the chocolate eclairs from, that's how that, that's wow. how the whole book is sort of That's amazing. Strategized. So I, I feel like this book is going to sail into the bestseller, um, you know, uh, <laughs> Charts. Well, today is its second day as number one in new releases on Amazon in gastronomy history. Wow. And Monday it was number one in Amazon new releases in maritime history. So um, that was good to see. Yeah. And, um, I imagine that it's going to be, um, you know, there are a lot of people that are infatuated with the Titanic. And I imagine that this is going to become something somewhat of a... Uh, a, a gift, or um, if you're if you're one of those people that loves history and food, um, I think that this is a perfect gift for somebody. I can't wait. I love it. I mean, the way it's the way it's written. I love all the little little like fleur de lis. It seems like this little design aspect that's on the book. Was there anything like as far as the design of the book that you can tell us about? That was. Uh, how did you choose the cover and all of that? Well, first of all, I just want to mention the reason I'm glad it's doing well is because these people, their stories, just to get getting yes. those out is yes. amazing. I just I'm so yeah, well, glad the book it's has a, a doing well. Nice. Yeah, you're um, resurrecting. Yeah. And the wonderful recipes. Yeah. yeah. The design, um, the graphic designers with Regnery Publishing put this together, and we went through many rounds of. Should we do this? Should we do that? And, and then the end result was this, and I, I absolutely have been amazed by the great comments people are making about the design. People yeah, no, really like design, it. As someone that loves design, I love the, I love, I love the vintage look and feel of the book. It's the unsinkable Molly Brown that's featured here. Well, she could be. Okay. It, and Molly, actually, some people think of Molly as a more, a bigger person, more robust, and this is a, more, she was actually more slender. Margaret Brown, her nickname was Molly. Um, 
was pretty darn incredible. You know, Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers said after a disaster, his mother would say to him, Fred, when there's a disaster, look for the helpers. You will always find helpers. And that's what pulled him through. He shared that after 9-11, that that's his, you know, that was his way of coping, was thinking about the helpers. And I am reminded of Molly when I think of that because... Molly was organizing the women in her lifeboat to row, to stay warm. Those people were freezing, and she would say, ladies, you know, we're going to take turns rowing. We're going to have a schedule of when we're going to row through the night. And then once she was aboard the Carpathia, the rescue ship, she was thinking of others again, even though she was in this terrible state, going through this horrific experience, um, she organized a group of mostly men at the time. There, there were mostly men that were sort of the, you know, the power-wielding people that were in her social circle. And she organized them so that they could honor Captain Rostron, who was the captain of the Carpathia, because he didn't have to go in to the iceberg-infested waters. He, and he did. So another case of people that put others first when their own life could have been in danger. Um, so Molly, not only that, but for us, people who, who love to hear about what are people doing with food and so forth, Molly was known for inventing an electric serving cart. And it was quite elaborate, and she would use it for her um, fabulous dinner parties and um, you know cocktail parties. Well, actually not cocktail, but more like tea time parties she'd have. She was a teetotaler. Um, and she lived in a really beautiful house in Denver, and I've been to it, the Molly Brown House. I highly recommend a visit if you're ever in Denver. It's beautiful. Um, and she was just a queen of uh, entertaining and, and invented little canapes that she serves. Yes, that's hers. love that. Yes, two Margaret's. Yeah. Wow. Very neat story. I thought I was yeah. a queen of entertaining. And you are, Jamie. You are. You are. And, and I can only imagine, you know, speaking of style, and you have such great style, Oh, Jamie, thank you, Margaret. What was the style like on the Titanic? Is it similar to what has been portrayed in the movies? Or through your research, did you discover something unexpected? I really didn't discover anything. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things I confirmed was pretty interesting in that John Jacob Astor IV had a, several restaurants in hotels, or hotels with restaurants in them, rather. And you had to have a tuxedo on. And if you didn't, there was a tailor there to make a tuxedo for you. There's a laundry list, literally, of clothing and other items that one gentleman claimed on his insurance claim. And it was everything from, it really told, it's included in the book, it really told what these people were packing in their trunks. One woman had 19 trunks. She talked about um, this, this guy that wrote up this list had walking sticks, top hats, you know, this was... I can't imagine what I would have been. Yeah. Oh, you would have been the top of the Titanic. Sure, with your fashion and you'd be in the kitchen tasting everything. Oh no, for sure. <laughs> for sure. And I see some of the great people you have. Chef Art Smith oh, um, yes. did something nice for you there on the back. And uh, Yvonne Hume, yes, great niece of the Titanic's first violinist, mm -hmm. John Hume, yeah, of Scotland. And did they really continue to play? 
because you see all the movies portray that they were playing to the last. Is that, did you find out about that at all? Well, we talk about it in the book. Okay. And there's a great deal of, contra- I don't want to say controversy, but there are different eyewitness accounts of what people thought. Um, the fashion journalist um, Edith Rosenbaum Russell was on board, and she was outspoken, saying, you know, there's no way they would have been playing near my God to thee. It would have killed the spirits of the people that were in the midst of this terrible drama and, and tragedy, um, which I guess made sense to me. I thought, yeah, they probably wouldn't have played a song like that when they were um, in the midst of, of um, what they were experiencing. But I, there was one thing that I read in, in a book. I read about a dozen books as part of my research, and and you mentioned Yvonne Hume, and it was a relative of hers who was the first violinist, and his name was John Hume, Jock Hume, and he ran into someone in the stairwell and said, we're just going to go play some music to cheer people up. So that is more in line, I think, with what we would have expected them to do, is you know, cheering people up. But that was sort of right in the beginning of the experience at 1140 is when the Titanic struck the iceberg and it was probably around a little after midnight when that was where he ran into Violet Jessup in the hallway and told her that. So they definitely were focused on playing music that would calm people and keep their minds off things. But, you know, in the very beginning, there wasn't a real rush to the lifeboats. People were not thinking it was going to be quite so serious as it was. That is one of the reasons that some of the lifeboats went out and they weren't completely full. Yeah. What was your favorite recipe from the Titanic? What really resonated with you as a food historian, as someone who has a culinary background? What really resonated with you? Well, I really love the eclairs. I think that okay. that's just you know I, I do love that, and I, I kind of felt that eclair energy. <laughs> I love no, the for eclairs. No, no. I know, no, I've got that on my brain too. But I I loved the um, the tripe and onions actually in the appreciation for it, not the flavor. I, I don't think necessarily for me for my taste, but the whole process of you know getting to know people who make it and hearing about their stories how their family made it and passed the recipe down through the years. That was pretty special to me. But um, I have to say that it's another hometown person here in the Chicago area. Michael Lashowitz contributed a recipe for something that wasn't necessarily a menu item on the Titanic, but he, he took a menu item, which was English spring peas, and he has a lovely English spring peas soup and an English spring peas souffle recipe and those are both in the book. I might and try this with them. And you can yeah. me I sure have. Yes. Wow. Maybe next time it'll be one of my recipes. <laughs> just oh. saying, Veronica. I have a picture of this bright green soup and souffle. It just shouts out spring. It's just beautiful. So um, I love how that happened in the book to have these spring ingredients. There's rhubarb, um, there's asparagus, so it's it's a nice uh, tribute to spring. And then also back to the food, because I'm just trying to envision the kitchen, the storage, you know, they did not have the amenities of what we have today, equipment-wise, storage-wise, do they have refrigeration systems? Yeah. They, I mean, 
how did they feed that many people for such a long time up with a caliber? I mean, it's a moving restaurant, essentially. Isn't it amazing? And they did. They had the electricity, so they had refrigeration. Okay. Uh, probably not like what we know of today, obviously, but something very close. And I always think about our wide-body airplanes and... Um, or even even the small airplanes today, but for sure the ones that fly across the the ocean, I can't believe how they fit all of that stuff into those airplanes, into the galleys, and it's you know the, in these little carts, and they come out and you end up with this fabulous feast. But there they were actually it was the catering kitchen basically in the ship and uh, bakery and it, it was incredible. There were. Um, you know, different areas for people like the ice cream maker that I mentioned. Yes. Oh. So it, it's unbelievable. Yeah. People called it a floating palace, and it really was. Life tips or cooking tips? What well, top three? I, the, first, the first one would be that pea soup recipe because it's very simple and it produces a vibrant spring pea color, mm-hmm. spring green color, I should say. Um, that just is perfect for parties. You know, you can have a little bit of a little bit of soup. We're having a party this Saturday up in my hometown in Wausau, Wisconsin, and we're going to put a little bit of the soup in uh, coupe glasses. Won't that be pretty? So you can just pass those around, and everyone can have a little spoon with it. So I would say things like that that are you know simple. I would say think of things, think of your garnishes. You know, this time of year. Find some place where you can find spring pea tendrils and just, you know, put them all over your um, array of foods that you're having for your party or whatever. And then third, I would say, again, I'm going to revert back to, you know, take an interest in people, in your guests, and, you know, hear their stories and, you know, um, you know make yeah, things that they that's like. That's really great. You know, I think just like fingerprints, you know, everyone has... A different fingerprint. Everyone has a different story, and I feel like you know when you invest in uh, hearing what that story is, um, we're all very unique, and we all have a different one. So that is a yeah. Good one. Speaking of sharing stories, thank you for sharing not only your story, and we're cheering for you as you continue to keep cancer behind you. Yes. But thank you for sharing the stories, the food stories, but most importantly, the stories of the people on the Titanic. So thank you, Veronica. Really appreciate that. And thank you, Jane. And thank you, dear foodie friends, for joining us on this exciting culinary journey. Make sure you visit the Titanic in this incredible book by Veronica you can go to Amazon.com. And do you have a website you want to share? Well, I'm on Instagram at Foodstringer. And Twitter as well, at Foodstringer. Perfect. And you can always find Jamie on Instagram, at Jamie Lorita, and myself, Kitchen Chat. But if you're in Chicago, make sure you drop by the Merchandise Mart and see Jamie here in the beautiful Middleby Residential Showroom, Viking and Lancarnu. And I hope you'll visit their Facebook page, Viking, as well as thevikinglife.com. And visit me in my kitchen, kitchenchat.info. And always remember to take a moment and savor the day. Thanks for joining Margaret for Kitchen Chat today. Margaret would be so excited for you to drop by and visit with her at kitchenchat.info. 
where you'll enjoy podcasts, blogs, recipes, tips from chefs, and even great giveaways. She invites you to share your recipes and kitchen stories, too. As Margaret always says, savor the day.